Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. All right, let's go. Hi, and welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's Martha and Ashley. We're so excited that you're here. Today, we're going to do a special interview with Natalie Ryder of Prairie Land Counseling in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, so for those of you who are in the Fargo-Moorhead area, um, Prairie Land Counseling is her home base, and that's how you can get a hold of her. But Natalie, welcome. Would you like to just share your background um, and how you started to kind of focus a little bit on on PMADS or yeah. perinatal mood. I don't know what the A stands for. Anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I've been a counselor for over 10 years, um, and my interest in this area really started when I had my own infertility journey. Um, and as I was going through that, I just, I just noticed that there wasn't a whole lot of talk about mental health. And then when I was able to become successfully pregnant, I actually had an incident with um, my OB at the time um, where I I came in and she's like, how are things going? And I just started crying. And her response to me was, okay, let's just not talk about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And and I was just like, I felt so disempowered. And so just like what I felt was wrong. And luckily, you know, I had years of training in the master's program (laughs) to know that this wasn't necessarily all about just me being in the wrong. Um, after that, I became a childbirth educator um, and again noticed that there was one slide on post-baby blues. Um, and so I really just wanted to dive in and see how I could better serve um, the maternal mental health and reproductive mental health field. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, I know that just when I started to seek out counseling in this area, um, you know, Fargo-Moorhead is, you know, it's a growing metro area, but um, it was it was difficult to find someone who would specialize and really go deep in that area. So I think it's so awesome that that's what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that you also are constantly researching and keeping up to date with best practices, which I think is amazing too. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we both found in our journeys is the focus on postpartum depression or PPD and the baby blues, like you mentioned. Um, but there's such a lack of information and focus on the other types of mood disorders. You know, we all know about Chrissy T and her <laughs> PPD journey, you know, and um, Brooke Shields and all that, but we yeah. don't know about these other things. And I just wondered if you could talk about what other types of mood disorders women could face during pregnancy or after pregnancy. Yeah, well, and part of the reason, you know, they're called PMADS now or perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is because they are trying to broaden the idea that it's not just depression mm-hmm. um, and it's not just after birth. Mm-hmm. You know, people, uh, women um, can develop perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, you know, at the start of their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's anxiety, um, there's depression, there is uh, bipolar disorder. In fact, um, women who have bipolar disorder who are mothers have their first episode of bipolar postpartum. Uh, wow. Um, so, because we talk about all those hormone shifts, you know, and mm-hmm. all that brain rewiring, it's very mm-hmm. common. Um, there is postpartum psychosis. Um, we hear kind of all the horror stories of postpartum psychosis, but it's actually pretty rare. Mm. So there are a variety of spectrum of different kind of mood and anxiety disorders that somebody mm. can experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've read recently that anxiety is almost as prevalent as depression is. 
Yes, um, it is as prevalent as depression, and there are some people out there in the community that actually feel that it's actually more prevalent than um, depression, along with um, postpartum OCD. Mm-hmm. That's really become a, a big thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the awareness yeah. of that is growing. Yeah. Sure. I can definitely see. I know in the NICU, I definitely form some obsessive behaviors because oh, you, yeah. especially around cleanliness yes. for NICU moms, um, <laughs> because they're they're really um, stringent about the policies on hand washing, yeah. mm-hmm. and so you become you really internalize it because you want to do everything for your babies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely recognize some of those behaviors in myself, <laughs> and I'm oh, just guys. now like stop washing my hands after like touching my face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so funny. Um, um, do you want to take the next question? Yes, let me just pull it up. Sorry. No, no, no. If you hear little um, baby sounds, it's because Silas is joining us today. Mm-hmm. So Are you might hear a little sucking on the pacifier sounds in the background. <laughs> but he's cute, so he's fun to have. Here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in what ways might a perinatal mood disorder differ for parents with children in the NICU um, versus parents that maybe had a very like healthy and normal birth? Yeah. So we probably are going to see a lot more trauma-based. Sure. Um, so acute stress disorders um, and PTSD. One study found that in the first couple weeks um, after the admittance into the NICU, 40% of women displayed symptoms of an acute stress disorder, which can lead to PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 30 days, I believe it was like 17%. So we see rates of PTSD and and acute stress disorder in NICU uh, parents like we would see in people who are experiencing things like cancer um, or other um, chronic and terminal illnesses. Um, So we see a a lot more trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of four really main stressors, it's... um, the appearance of the infant is not necessarily what they imagined Mm -hmm. their child looking like. Um, The use of complex medical terminology and all the technology. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what these things are. People are throwing around words. It can make you feel very lost. Um, Parents' loss of their own role in their infant care. Yeah. So parents are like, I'm supposed to be the parent. But they're, you know, they really get to hold their child versus actually take care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, NICUs are doing a lot better job of incorporating parent role in terms of infant care as much as possible Mm -hmm. and as much as keeps both of them safe. Um, And then dealing with um, their sadness, fear, anxiety, and grief and just what is going on. Yeah. I know we talked about, but the hospital where Silas stayed and where I delivered, they're trying to introduce um, a behavioral health specialist just for Mm -hmm. that floor, which will be so So supportive of parents because it is... It is just incredibly traumatic. And I, just all the things that you mentioned, it's just like bang, bang, bang. They all ring so true. Mm-hmm. Just seeing them looking so frail and, um, uh, you know, just not. I, I always felt like the baby belonged to the nurses and not me. Yeah. I don't know if you felt that way, but yeah. I was always like, may I touch her? I and they were like, she yeah. is yours. <laughs> yeah, I know. Asking for permission. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. And how prevalent are mood disorders in general with women yeah. um, after and during pregnancy? So 20 to 25% of women will actually experience um, a PMAD. So I think that's one in four. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's really huge. One in 10 will probably experience depression. Mm. Or one in seven women will experience depression. One in 10 dads mm. will experience yeah. a postpartum depression. Sure. And if the woman experiences a postpartum or PMAD, a, a dad is 50% more likely sure. to also experience Sure. A PMAD. Um, and it is important to remember that partners, you know, are just as vulnerable of developing PMADs mm-hmm. as um, 
you know, the birth mother. Mm -hmm. So that includes, you know, step-parents, adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. same-sex couples, Mm -hmm. you know. um, There's all different sorts of adjustments that go into bringing a child into the home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is a very vulnerable time, exciting time, but vulnerable time for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, women are more likely to develop depression and anxiety uh, during their first year after childbirth than at any other point in their life. Mm -hmm. And depression is the number one complication of childbirth. Mm -hmm. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like my brain has exploded after learn. Like there's just so much to learn about it. And I think that, um, Mm -hmm. it's changed so much. Can I ask one question? Of course. So let's say that a mom never struggled with anxiety or depression and all of a sudden she has a baby and it's supposed to be this perfect exciting exhilarating you read about the hormones and just this boost and maybe you have that for the first few days or you know mm-hmm. um and for an NICU parent it's a little bit more unique it might be a little while before you feel those moments um but all of a sudden she finds herself struggling with depression or anxiety I mean how common is it, is it for a mom who never struggled with it to all of a sudden struggle with it I mean do you notice a shift or a change or anything like that in your practice or yeah it's actually very common for people who have never experienced a mood disorder to have you know childbirth bring on symptoms mm-hmm. childbirth pregnancy is a complete rewiring of your brain mm-hmm. like it, it just happens and so oftentimes again these are the first time that people are experiencing things like yeah depression and anxiety their body you know if you're giving birth has gone through a major trauma just right. physically even if you have a completely a normal and i'm using quotation marks <laughs> no air quotes, <laughs> air quotes a normal birth because i think again what's really important to remember is that trauma is in the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. even if everybody yes. around you says well that was a normal safe wonderful right. birth that's that right. isn't necessarily <laughs> the experience of every person in yeah. that room yeah right. that's good Totally. Um, one thing we both know from experience is that losing sleep really magnifies the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And especially for NICU moms, um, the, probably the only thing you can really functionally do for your baby is pump and pump and pump and pump and pump and pump and pump until you are just a shell of a human being. And so you do it because it, it feels like the best thing that you can do. And you know that that breast milk makes a difference for your baby. So you do it. But that means you spend all day with your baby at the hospital and then you go home without your baby, which feels completely wrong and foreign. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wake yourself up every two to three hours in the middle of the night to pump. Mm -hmm. So you are missing out on that sleep, but you don't even have like the beautiful results of the baby there with you. Um, So I was just wondering if you could talk about how sleep deprivation can affect perinatal mood disorders or people who are experiencing them. So... Lack of sleep is for any, even not even perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, but for any mood disorder, just any person, lack of sleep exacerbates everything. Mm. Um, you know, people who don't sleep for long stretches can have psychotic episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that sleep is absolutely vital mm-hmm. to maintaining a healthy and stable mind and body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we go long stretches with minimal amount of sleep, it's going to start to deteriorate our body's ability to regulate our emotions, our body's mm-hmm. ability to think clearly, our body's ability to just physically function. Um, sleep, like for years, for hundreds of years, the, what role sleep plays 
and what it actually does is never been completely clear, but we know that, you know, it allows for your brain to repair, create memories, create different neural pathways, and do kind of all those different things. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, A, the fact that your your brain is getting rewired because of pregnancy and hormones and Mm -hmm. this addition to life, and then you're not giving your brain the opportunity to create those neural pathways to heal the way that it needs to heal, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's huge. In fact, it's when we talk, when moms and partners come in um, and are like, one of the first questions that we ask is, is how are you sleeping? Mm-hmm. You know, um, because one of the main um, indicators that you might be experiencing a PMAT is that even if the baby sleeps, you are just physically unable to relax. Mm-hmm. Um, and unable to sleep because of your own worries, your own whatever's kind of going on for you internally. And so we always want to gauge and we always try to aim for four hours of consistent sleep Mm. at a time. Again, that's kind of feels pie in the sky. (laughs) Um, But because we recognize that moms are never going to probably have seven or eight hours of sleep immediately. Mm -hmm. It's just unrealistic. Mm -hmm. But even if they can have a partner step in and give them four-hour chunks, Mm -hmm. it's extremely helpful. Yeah, I think that too, there's such a, a narrative in just conversations that you might have on social media with people and in just the media and representation on TV and movies that like you should just, it's just a time that you suffer and you get through it, you know? But so, you know, moms, your job is to stay up in the middle of the night all night long and do that. But I, I found that what made a huge difference for me was creating shifts with my husband. And Mm -hmm. so we could each get some consolidated sleep at one time Mm -hmm. and we didn't see each other for like three months, but (laughs) at least we could survive in that way. So Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't even realize that there were different options and different ways to care for your child and take care of that in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. I don't know if you guys came up with strategies or anything that helped. Yeah, I would say it was the same. I mean, like you mentioned, the pumping was huge. And so mm-hmm. Ryan and I kind of tried to take team when he was in the NICU that I would pump, he would clean the pump parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, like, We yep. both felt like we were contributing in the middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. And two, um, you know, at our, the, the NICU that we were staying at, you had your own private room. So the couch would become a bed if you wanted it to. And I remember feeling this mom guilt of like, I should be sleeping mm-hmm. on that bed. Like mm-hmm. I should be sleeping in the same room, but I would get no sleep mm-hmm. and the next day I would suffer. Mm-hmm. And I had to give myself permission that like, it's okay that I go to my own bed at night, even mm-hmm. though it sucks. Yeah. I'm looking at a webcam photo yeah. of him yeah. instead. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But at least I was getting some sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think um, having the opportunity to go home was a blessing. I know some moms have to stay at the hospital, but I think for NICU moms, I give you permission. Yes. <laughs> you can go home and go to bed. It's yeah. the hardest thing in the world, mm-hmm. but you are a better parent if you, like said, get those four hours of sleep. And yeah. that's really it. You know, I think, you know, so often, especially when we're in the NICU, we sacrifice everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but, and then we forget that we then have to hopefully take this child home. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're yeah. lucky, we get to take this child home. Well, we depleted all of our resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happens when we go home? Mm-hmm. You know? And there right. aren't the nurses and the monitors, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And then we're even more right. into that arousal mode of are they breathing? Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh yeah. You know, yeah. Did, I, did I hear a noise? Are they choking? Yeah. yeah. And so we've depleted all of our resources before. Mm-hmm. And so now we're going into the battlefield with depleted resources. 
choices. Right. And that's really important to remember Mm -hmm. is that, yeah, there's so much mom guilt Mm -hmm. about, you know, should I go home and and stay four hours? And even if it's just, I'm going to go home and stay four or five hours, I don't necessarily want to spend the whole night or something like Mm -hmm. that. Trying to find compromises, things Mm -hmm. that allow you to, hey, do I get to go home and make sure that I have one meal that's a good solid meal that mm-hmm. isn't super processed yes. mm-hmm. and whatever the hospital yeah. is it might be something that I enjoy and something that my body needs right and get four hours of sleep and take a shower right and, yeah you know I think such a revolutionary thing for me to understand when I became a mom the second time around was that um the idea of self-care is not just like face masks and um <laughs> yeah. bubble baths it's like literally are you eating enough calories in the day are you getting enough sleep are you taking mental breaks for yourself like Mm -hmm. are you um doing something that fills you up in a different way outside of motherhood and it's just so counterintuitive that you literally have to force yourself to do it until it becomes habit Mm -hmm. it's like I mean, I still do face masks. I would like that <laughs> right. to be heard. Yes. Yes. But it is just like a, such a wild, revolutionary thought, I think, for women. Well, and I think what's, you know, because right now it is a revolutionary thought for women for, to need to take care of themselves. Right. That I think, you know, branding and marketing is yes. trying to capitalize on mm-hmm. women. Like, hey, it's Self-Care Saturday. Let's yeah. go get a mani petty and yes. a yes. And like, yes. hey, it's Self-Care Saturday. We should take a shower. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? You know? <laughs> Oh man, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Well, and I think again, I'm not trying to always go back to the NICU, but um, there were moms that hadn't had a baby in the NICU that would constantly ask me, like, you know, are you there all day? You know, like, mm-hmm. and if you wouldn't say that I, I was there mm-hmm. all day, the faces would sometimes be like, well, how could you leave? How oh, could God. you leave yeah. your baby? It's like, well, first of all, it's the worst. Yes. Yeah. If I don't leave, I wouldn't be able to function or have this conversation, and so. Mm-hmm. Again, I think like, yeah, the self care might be literally leaving the hospital for a couple hours mm-hmm. and walking around Target. Yeah. One of the nurses yes. made me do that. Right? Mm-hmm. She was like, "Ashley, you need to get out of here." Yeah, <laughs> she's like, "Go walk around Target and get something for his nursery and just celebrate the fact that he's alive." Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing she ever did for me because I was so tense and I just wanted to be super mom and I never mm-hmm. wanted to leave. And I was like, "I don't need to care for myself." Yeah, <laughs> but I did, and yeah. it started to affect me. So, well, and I think you've kind of brings this, this idea about like the super mom, this idea that the more we self-sacrifice, the better moms mm-hmm. we are. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to sleep and. I I'm surviving on two hours of sleep is a badge of honor. Right. You know, I survive on carrot sticks Mm -hmm. and wheat thins because that's the only thing that's within grabbing distance. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but really just taking care of yourself is so important. And that really means taking care of your basic necessities. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting outside, Mm. um, sleeping, and then making sure that you have good food in your body. Mm This is not on the list. The yeah. one thing I love when you look at me for a reason. <laughs> I, I just typed it up. It's not authority. <laughs> but um, so you said get outside, and it just made me think about how ninety percent of our year is in the snow and in the cold mm-hmm. and in the winter. Mm-hmm. So let's say that a mom has a baby and it is negative twenty, and they can't get outside, or you know they feel trapped inside. What encouragement do you have for them, or how can they seek out some type of self care that? helps them with just the blues of winter as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's tough. Um, especially if you lived through our last winter. Um, yes. Which it never just, ended. Which never ended. R.I.P. Vitamin D. Yes. We had none. Much. Um, but identifying, you know, like going to the mall. 
A, right. it's social interaction because you're going to see people if you don't have to talk to them, but yeah. you're still going to see them. Yeah. Um, you know, and walking around there, maybe it's walking around gym track again. It's a way mm-hmm. to get out and be social and make contact. It doesn't necessarily require sitting down with somebody having coffee and talking for hours, which can feel really emotionally exhausting right. and make you ask questions that you don't or answer questions that you just are tired of answering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you can find ways of just getting outside, getting involved in gyms, Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting a treadmill in front of a window Mm. can also be extremely helpful. Um, Just finding ways of trying to see the outside. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can't feel it, you can at least see it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, talking to your doctor, making sure that your vitamin D levels are where they need to be. Um, And also getting maybe a sun lamp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, reading your morning paper if you're lucky enough to do something like that or mm-hmm. changing the diaper or you know mm-hmm. something kind of like that just where if you can supplement a little bit it's always important yeah sure yeah, yeah every morning I like in January I got I was like Amazon send me a sad lamp immediately <laughs> and every morning what I do is I'd lay out JJ my baby on a blanket and we'd practice rolling over which she still has not accomplished <laughs> And I would just have the sad lamp on me and I'd set a timer for like an hour and I do, I think it really helped. I just felt like I was getting another level of light because mm-hmm. the in, like inside was so dark and, yeah, and hard. Yeah. So yeah. It is important though, before you get something like a sad light to talk to your doctor about your vitamin D levels, because mm-hmm. if you have excessive vitamin D levels, that can also lead to physical symptoms mm-hmm. like headaches, um, some mood irritability and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so Again, just be like, hey, can we run a vitamin D panel? Make sure it is where it is. Um, and then following the sad lamp appropriately because mm. I never recommend using a sad lamp. Don't take this as actual counseling advice. Yes. <laughs> um, but like after 3 p.m. because it's very excitatory. Mm. You know, it can really stimulate you. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes total sense. So if, if you feel like you're exhibiting symptoms... Oh, actually, you know what? Could you talk a little bit about... Like, what would symptoms look like? Yes. Because I think you think, oh, if I, if you're going to be crying all the time. Mm-hmm. That's how you know. And I know that can be a valid symptom, but it's so much more broad. Yeah. Kind of like we talked about with the, with the sleep, um, difficulty relaxing, mm-hmm. um, difficulty sleeping, uh, feeling out of control, uh, racing thoughts, intrusive thoughts um, are, are very prominent with anxiety and OCD. Uh, there's a great book by Karen Kleinman. Um, she is an absolutely wonderful um, worker. Um, Karen Kleinman is probably kind of one of the gurus when it comes to perinatal things, um, but called Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts. So having intrusive thoughts is a very really big indicator. Um, things like, I'm worried that I might hurt the baby, trying to avoid things like stairs or cars or knives or mm-hmm. things like that because there's a concern that you might hurt the baby. Um, those are all indicators that you might be experiencing an anxiety disorder. Um, also, lack of connection with the baby, you feel like you're just not connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, trying to brainstorm ways that we can connect with baby is one of some of the work that we do with parents. Mm-hmm. Anger, rage, irritability is a really, um, and I think people think of it as an unusual symptom of a PMAD, but it's a lot more common than people think. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe, I feel like, too, anger tends to have a lot of shame attached to oh, it. Absolutely. And so it's, like, hard to say, yeah, I had a total anger episode or, like, mm-hmm. I had rage. That mm-hmm. makes you sound crazy, you know? <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Well, and it makes people feel like they're not a good parent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. Yes. Despite the fact that I'm not sleeping, I'm not showering, I'm not eating. Mm-hmm. And I have this thing that nobody gave me a manual. And every mm-hmm. manual that's actually out there tells me how I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not supposed to get angry or irritable or upset Mm -hmm. about that. Right. In terms of NICU parents, too, I think there's this idea that um, it's miraculous. And I I imagine it's the same way for people who've gone through cancer or other chronic illness or something like that. But it's this idea that you should be this incredible saint-like savior. (laughs) Like, you are... It's like you know your baby is miraculous you're miraculous isn't it amazing and you just want to be like absolutely not it's horrible right now um you know the fact that you're just expected to um suffer quietly and like literally reach a new level of sainthood with it i think puts this other level of expectation and shame and guilt um when you are not experiencing that um Yeah, it's Absolutely. it's challenging. Well, so I want to add on to that a little bit and kind of almost revisit this idea of like self care. You know, talking to the people who'd ask questions about like, are you there all the time? Mm-hmm. And then having that feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm not there all the time. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that we also work on um, is self compassion mm-hmm. and this idea that you can have duality of emotion. Yeah, you know, like you can um, be so grateful that you have a child that is alive or that is, you know, um, showing progress. And at the same time, still feel great grief and anger over the fact that this wasn't the way that you wanted it to be. Yes. Yeah. And, and just allowing yourself to be like, it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to feel those things at the same time. Yeah. Like it's okay to wish that you were at the hospital every single second of every single day and still recognize the fact that you, you need to go home and sleep. Mm-hmm. And it might feel really gross and icky mm-hmm. and just understand that that's a human emotion and you need to offer yourself some self-compassion for yeah, it. absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I it think is. that's really important. Mm-hmm. Self-compassion is huge. I wish that would become a buzzword sometimes more than even self-care. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think there's like a growing trend mm-hmm. because they're actually showing that self-compassion is more important than self-esteem. Mm, yeah. You know, because self-esteem makes us feel like we have to be, we are the best. There's, you know, little room for human experience at times. Yeah. Like we will all experience fear and discomfort and grief and sadness and rage and, and pity and all those things mm-hmm. and understanding that's a human experience, but doesn't define who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, so for those uh, parents who have children who are still in the NICU or parents with medically fragile children, we know some incredible parents who have had years of medical battles with their children and some of them will have lifelong battles. Mm -hmm. How is it even possible for them to carve out time and energy to address their own mental health? What, what are some ways that they could start the process of healing in ways that don't feel like they're taking, um, they're taking time away from yeah. caring for their medically fragile child. Yeah. Um, well, you know, see if your NICU unit has a behavioral health specialist integrated, if they have a group that they run. Mm-hmm. Um, there's amazing online forums, Facebook mm-hmm. groups, you know, online support groups for moms and dads and partners of, of people who have children in the NICU. Um, also see if there are telehealth providers. I, I offer telehealth, so if they're in the hospital, 
we can do a session as long as they're allowed to have Wi-Fi wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do that. Telehealth is an option. Mm-hmm. And so you can still be present. And also, you know, maybe this might be the, the opportunity for you to practice some self-care and some self-compassion and make sure that before, you know, you go home, your, you, your reserves are starting to fill up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking on, bouncing off that, um, I know in most of the country, there's a lack of access to behavioral health specialists. So I think that, could you talk a little bit more about like those alternatives like telehealth and things like that, that might be, cause I think people don't realize that there's other options than just going to sit in a chair, like going, right. getting a referral for a, a psychologist, right? right? Or a psychiatrist. There's other options out there. Right. So there are other options out there. Um, so I'm a, I'm a counselor, mm-hmm. and so I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, and so I don't have a doctorate, but I do have specialized training in this field. Mm-hmm. So there are counselors, there are social workers, there are psychologists, and there are psychiatrists. So even being like understanding that there are multiple people who can mm-hmm. offer you support is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, North Dakota in particular is a rural state, mm-hmm. and so you may be spending you know three months in Fargo or Bismarck or Minots, Nick you and then returning to your your home, yeah. to your farm, to your rural community, um, where resources are limited. Mm-hmm. And so telehealth is is starting to be a bigger thing in North Dakota. It's something that I really support. Um, and so looking to see if there are telehealth providers in your state or wherever mm-hmm. you're at. There are um, there are certain like national um, texting lines mm-hmm. um, that you know like. Better Help, I think, is one where you can, like, text with, like, a counselor or something pretty infrequently. It's not ongoing therapy. But perhaps, like, you need, you're need going through a tough moment and just need to talk about it with somebody. Mm-hmm. Those are also some platforms available. Mm-hmm. And, you know, reaching out and having, you know, if you're in the NICU and there's another parent that you see there regularly, maybe mm-hmm. exchanging information, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just being like, hey, I know that we're both here at the same time and, mm-hmm. and we at least have a face-to-face connection that way so here's my number let's text back and forth mm-hmm. and maybe we can give each other some support mm-hmm. and you were so um active and proactive about that Ashley you reached out to mm-hmm. several Nikki moms right away right mm-hmm. because you just knew there was a you had that inherent need for community yeah I think part of it's my extroverted personality so I'm mm-hmm. a little cuckoo I was like nurses <laughs> do you want to talk about stuff and they're like I have a job to do <laughs> um but no I think you know, part of the reason Dear Nikki, well, a big, big part of the reason Dear Nikki Mama was launched was to connect other Nikki moms, both past and present. Mm-hmm. But I remember that second or third week that I was in the Nikki, the isolation really started to yeah. set in because germs were bad, so the outside world was bad. You know, mm-hmm. like you had to protect your baby with everything, and that mm-hmm. meant limited friends, visitors, and mm-hmm. also connecting with friends outside of the NICU was hard because it was a world that only I understood at the time. You know, it was like, I could try and explain this to you. And I know that you would be kind and listen, but like, it's not going to be an ongoing conversation. Like we wouldn't relate on these things, you mm-hmm. know? And so I remember asking the nurse one day, I was like, is there a NICU mom here that can just talk to me? <laughs> yeah. Because in our NICU, you were in your own room. So you weren't like in pods where you could see each other. And so you really had to seek it out. And so she's like, let me check. I think there's a girl that you should meet. And so then she reached out to her and sure enough, she was like, yeah, come on into my room and like meet her and stuff. And so there was just this instant connection. And I think we experienced it at the photo shoot. Even we Mm -hmm. did a celebration photo shoot and it was like, 
we all were crying by the end of the day because yeah. it was like you get me like I get you there's this like we've gone through such a some all of our situations were so unique and yes. so different yet we had this common ground of this NICU experience and it changed mm. our lives forever and we had this instant connection and so yeah I think connecting with other NICU moms whenever possible is has been so healing mm-hmm. for me personally I don't know mm-hmm. if you can. oh absolutely and I think the face-to-face element yeah. has been life-changing because I remember even seeing you on social media and I was like this girl has her poop in a group and I'm losing it like <laughs> no, what's going on but the, but the second I was able to be face-to-face with you and like honest and vulnerable about mm-hmm. my experience you were so gracious and you said, I've been there too. We're on the same place. Mm-hmm. And like you just, you saying that gave, validated me mm-hmm. and honored my grief and struggle in a different way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm not going to cry. No, I I'm going to compartmentalize the heck out of that. We don't have time for that. Okay. But the, the, that's the thing. It's like, I'm going to be all counselor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even just watching you two relate to your experiences and connect and just talk about the fact that even though you guys, is, your, each of your experiences was completely different, you immediately, even in the room, could feel the kinship of just being like, I'm here to support you no matter what mm-hmm. you're choosing to do. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm that it can be really scary to reach out to somebody, especially mm-hmm. in that NICU, especially when you're like, I even feel like just being down the hall. Like, maybe we just need to put our chairs in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, like, we have, like, a tin can and a string. Yes. Like, yeah. talk that way. But well, connection is so, so, so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, parenthood can be extremely isolating anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether your child is present here on Earth or, you know, in an afterlife, like, just having somebody to talk with um, about your experience is so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely. No, that's powerful. Um, there's something I wanted to ask about. Oh, maybe this isn't... If this doesn't fit, I can cut it out. But Martha and I have talked about... Um, that while we were in the NICU, especially, or we had to unfollow certain social media accounts about motherhood <laughs> because they were painting this feeling that we should be having of, like, we kind of mentioned before, the euphoric, which there is there is that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's, because there is, and I felt that with Silas now, but in the at the time, I remember it would break my heart to see birth photos mm-hmm. or to see, you know... Mm-hmm. Because that was supposed to be what we experienced together, you know? Mm-hmm. And what grace do you have for moms that it's okay to unfollow certain social media accounts or even to take a break from Instagram or Facebook or whatever? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's never anything wrong with a social media wash or a social yeah. media fast. Sure. Um, I think that... You know, we already know that social media really contributes to anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. just period. And if you're going through a traumatic experience, it can be a really great place of connection for people. Yeah. Um, it can also be a really great place of disconnection. Mm-hmm. So one of the tough parts about, you know, when you're kind of in the middle of it is is giving yourself permission to do whatever you need to do. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so understanding that, yes, your your best friend who was, you know, five weeks after you is now having a healthy pregnancy and is posting all these things. It's okay to just, you don't have to unfriend her, but you can unfollow her on Facebook. I had to do that. Yeah. You know, you can unfollow. And it doesn't mean that you hate them or you don't want to be a part of their lives. It just means that you don't need to constantly 
stick mm-hmm. this knife in over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, and it might be unfollowing certain accounts. It might be taking the fast. It might be just kind of engaging or creating like a Instagram just that focus, you know, follows mm-hmm. other different things or creating mm-hmm. other accounts that focus mm-hmm. just on the support that you need at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I found that I feel really empowered and this is for me, but I feel really empowered by introducing a different narrative into social media. Mm-hmm. I took breaks here and there, but I found that I thought it's not there right now. So I'm going to create it. I'm going to carve out the space for it. So that space of, I have lost a child and, um, the pain that is there society doesn't want to look at. They don't want to look at the grieving mother, but I'm going to make you look at it. It's here right here. And I'm a person, uh, with real feelings. I didn't have the normal birth experience with my second and I didn't feel the immediate bond. And sometimes I look at her and I go, who are you? Please leave. (laughs) But you can't walk or roll yet. Um, but, um, right. So, uh, but, um, by creating that and being honest and vulnerable, Vulnerable, you know, like our good friend Brene Brown says, oh, yes. right? You, um, I have reached deeper levels of connection with moms from across the country. Um, I, I met a wonderful woman from Hawaii the other week, and mm. it's just, it's, it's this deepening of connection. And I'm just going to force social media to go deep and not shallow. Mm-hmm. That's my approach. <laughs> it's a little kamikaze-ish, but it's going to happen. Isn't it- <laughs> Um, a, let's let's reframe it and be like, this yeah. is actually just what works for me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is important to put out that narrative so that there are moms who maybe don't have, like, an educational background in marketing or a passion in, in social media justice and advocacy or, you know, like, they, they um, are uncertain how to get started or, you know, right now they're more consumers um, than producers. And so there's a need out there for that. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you guys were able to, you know, create this um, because there are people out there, there are parents um, out there that, that need this sort of content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there's a NICU mom sitting in the NICU right now, and she just wants, like, a practical exercise that she could do or, like, you know, a mantra she could tell herself when she starts to feel really anxious or when her son or daughter's beeps go off or, you know, mm-hmm. just to kind of bring her back to center. Um, is there like a breathing exercise that you love to recommend to moms or something like that? Yeah. So, you know, there are always really great apps out there, Calm, um, mm. Stop, Breathe, Think, that have really helpful kind of breathing exercise uh, exercises. Um, a really great one is engaging your senses, mm. which is where you just kind of take some deep breaths and then you start to be like, okay, what are the five things that I see? Mm. What are four things that I can hear? What are three things I can physically touch? Mm. What there are two things that I can smell or taste? And then what is one good thing about myself? Mm. Oh, I like that. And so, and you know, just really, it's a grounding technique, especially if you're feeling like really dissociated, like you're feeling how you, maybe you're having a little bit of like an out-of-body experience or mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. kind of going out, just really bringing it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Like yeah. I did that a lot when I would be, um, holding JJ or nursing her or doing something in the NICU because I also found it was a good way to bond because Mm -hmm. I was um, focusing on her. What are things I noticed about her? Mm -hmm. Oh, I noticed that her third toe bends this way you know what I mean so I I I thought that was in particular like using the five senses that was really cool way to bond with her too yeah absolutely and feel like 
a normal mom a little bit. Yeah. Well, and sometimes in the NICU, your baby has so much medical equipment on or headgear, you know, for mm-hmm. breathing and stuff that all you can see is a hand. Mm-hmm. So I would, yeah. What do I notice about his hand? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> all I could really see in mm-hmm. the moment, you know. But yeah, I like how you talked about what did you say at the end? What do you love about yourself, or what do yeah, you? What, what is one good thing about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your experience I love or, that. Mm-hmm. And even it's just that you know, I get to be self compassionate. Like mm-hmm. I can accept the fact that this is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was not my fault. That it was mm-hmm. not. That I didn't fault. do this to my baby. No. You know? Yeah, that could be a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah. 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 Really. Um, yeah, I almost feel like too for moms who've. Um, lost babies you know we had about like three hours with our son after he died Mm -hmm. and I almost wish I would have taken more time to really investigate and look at him in that way it would have been such a great way to spend those last few hours with him too Mm -hmm. um, to kind of ground and really because there's so much going on and it's really hard to center yourself but I feel like if, if you know that you are going to have to say goodbye that could be a great way to bond with your baby in the last few hours or moments of their life. Yeah. Sorry to go on that tangent. No. Um, so the last question we have is, and, and I think this, since I had my son in 2015, I have noticed a, a significant change in just a few years in the nature of like maternal mental health care. Um, and the way we talk to NICU parents about mental health and the way we talk to new moms about, um, um, perinatal mood disorders. So could you talk about how it's changed during your time practicing? Yeah. So there's definitely more awareness out there. Um, And there's been a very large push. um, ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, has made a huge push to do um, depression and anxiety screenings at every visit. Um, You know. Sorry. He, he wants to get an honest. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, we are seeing, you know, bigger celebrities, you know, um, like you, you mentioned Brooke Shields, you mentioned Chrissy Teigen, Adele, mm-hmm. Hayden Panettiere, mm-hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, you know, we see a lot of celebrities talking about their own kind mm-hmm. of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to see. You know, um, Gabrielle Union talked about it, you know, her own adjustment. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though they used a surrogate, she still experienced, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trouble and her own infertility and Mm -hmm. her own struggles Mm -hmm. with loss Mm -hmm. along the way. So I think we're seeing a lot more higher profile people also bringing some Mm -hmm. awareness to this, which is helpful. Mm and so, you know, just there's a lot more awareness and we're seeing a lot more screening. And so mm-hmm. I think people are a lot more comfortable talking about the fact that parenthood is not this um, picture perfect thing, mm-hmm. um, even though that's what we're kind of told that it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And we're able to recognize that it's just like another human experience that has ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad that I've had this experience. Um, one thing I'm grateful for. Uh, is that I'm having this experience in this day and age mm-hmm. because I know that mental health struggles are hereditary in my family and I have a journal for my great grandmother who like lived um, up like by Crater Lake and they he was my great grandfather was a caretaker in the national park and so they would spend months alone up there and the windows would be covered with snow and so just reading it now is unreal because she obviously was struggling with her mental health and was completely isolated and alone and there was no space in society for her so 
Um, kudos to you, great grandma, for surviving that. Um, but she's, I, I just think I feel so lucky and blessed to be now. And it can only grow from here, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. that's really positive. If you had an Ikuma sitting in front of you and you took off, even if, even if you took off your counselor hat or your therapist hat and you just were giving them encouragement regarding their mental health or taking care of themselves, what would you say? You know, I really would say do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's your experience, even though there's other parents in the NICU, is not going to be the same experience as theirs. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no need to compare what your med- baby's medical conditions might be compared mm-hmm. to somebody else's mm-hmm. or what other moms or dads might be doing that you're doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. Just know that you are doing the best that you can. There are no manuals for this. Mm-hmm. This is all about survival and finding and forging your own path. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much, Lolly, for being here. Yeah, of yeah. You're wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Seriously. Yes. So yeah, awesome. And uh, again, that's Natalie Ryder with Prairie Land Counseling in Fargo, North Dakota. And we will link where to find her practice, too, in our little show notes. That'll be fun. So, okay. So well... Until next time, ladies, welcome to the sisterhood. (laughs) If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.